0: Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law, or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not a faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith.
1: everybody, good morning, and welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Uh, So glad that you are here. Uh, Welcome, those of you at our e-service, those of you tuning in online, uh, welcome. Uh, I, uh, I really do love coming here and being with you, I hope. You feel the same way when you come. Uh, Let me start with a story. Uh, This story comes from Sarah Grace Ritter. Uh, Sarah Grace is on staff here at the church. Uh, She works in our student ministries department with the high school kids. And uh, she wrote me this story, and I'm gonna call the student that she refers to simply Kay. This is what she writes. I met Kay when she came to church Sunday morning with her grandma. She had never been to church before. It happened to be the weekend where our students' team made pancakes in the atrium. I don't know if you remember that, the whole place smelled like pancakes. It was great. And her grandmother came up to our table with her. I ended up uh, getting to talk with her and invited her to Paint War the following Sunday. We had 130 high school students come to Paint War, and I got to give a talk about how the misconceptions we might have about Jesus can get in the way of us knowing the real Jesus. Kay came and was one of those students. When I talked to her at Paint War, she said she had so much fun. One of our next steps for students out of that talk is to invite them to talk more if they want to, and Kay said she did. I got her number, and we began trying to find a time to get together. With both our schedules, it took a week to find time that worked. She came to high school circles a week after Paint War, where Jamie, who is also Uh, on staff here, was teaching the first week of a series on how God, uh, we can understand God's love and his judgment alongside one another. I got dinner with her on Tuesday after that, and she said she couldn't stop thinking about how understanding God's love and judgment and how her misunderstanding of God's judgment had kept her from being able to trust him. I got to share the gospel with her and share about how Jesus is God's loving answer to his perfect judgment. Because of Jesus, we can make sense of a God who will make all the broken things about the world right and yet loves us even though we are broken. She responded and said, I don't think that's the God I know, but I want to know him. We talked about what a relationship with Jesus looks like and she said she wanted to trust Jesus with her life and now she wants to be baptized. How cool is that? Yeah. I tell you that story for two reasons. One is I I want you to know uh, some of the things that are happening. And it's not just happening in the high school area. It's happening in middle school. It's happening with college. It's happening uh, with adults and with kids ministry. We feel like God is really moving here uh, right now. So please uh, don't miss it. And I just wanted you to know that particular story. But I also wanted you to, to know how grateful I am. Uh, we could not do any of this without your uh, faithful, consistent, uh, and generous giving. We couldn't have Sarah Grace on staff. We couldn't uh, host a paint war for 130 high school students. Uh, none of this would happen without your giving. I just want to say thank you and remind you that, that your giving uh, has an impact. It makes a difference. All right? So Thanks. All right, we are continuing our series in the book of Galatians. This is week four of our 10-week series. Uh, Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to some Christians in a region called Galatia, and they are leaking grace. That's what we said the first week. It means they are slowly but surely forgetting grace, and I told you the first week that grace is the great healer of the human soul. So leaking grace, it is easy to do, and it is deadly, which is a terrible combination. You never want something to be both easy and deadly, which is why we're spending 10 weeks uh, talking about this in hopes that we, if we are leaking grace, we will stop, uh, we will be filled up with grace. All right. So today we are covering uh, Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, so if you have your Bibles. Go ahead and uh, turn to Galatians chapter 3. If you have a smartphone, you can download uh, a Bible. It's free. You can just bring your phone to church. If you're going to use one of our Bibles in the sanctuary in front of you in a pew or over at the back of East Hall, uh, it's on page 914, 914. And if we ever forget to tell you the page number, I know there's always a table of contents in every Bible, and you can just uh, look up. Uh, the book there. All right. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. We had it read to us. Let me give you the three points that I want to pull out. If you are a note taker, you can write these down or uh, you can just put them in your mind, know where I'm going. I want to talk about the big question, the surprising answer, and how it all really works. The big question, the surprising answer, And how it all really works. First, the big question. Uh, Let me give you the big question, and then I'm going to unpack it a little bit. The big question is this. Once somebody um, transfers their trust to Jesus and trusts him as their savior, how do they actually become like Jesus? How do any of us become more like Jesus? There are two big concepts in the Christian faith. The first is called justification. Pastor Zach spoke on that last week. We've actually been talking about that for four weeks. Justification happens when we quit trying to justify ourselves to God by what we do, and instead we trust what Jesus did through his life, death, and resurrection to justify us with God. And what we believe happened on the cross is that Jesus changes places with us. And that when Jesus went to the cross, he took my flaws, my faults, all my bad decisions, all my sin, and he took credit for that on the cross. So when God looked at him, that's what he saw. And then Jesus gave me credit for all of his good decisions, all of the way that he lived his life. All of his righteousness, so that when God looks at me, he sees Jesus' righteousness. We call that this great exchange. It's actually captured in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, which is one of our anchor verses. If you grabbed this pack, and I think there are still some out there. Galatians 2:20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I live now I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Justification by faith in Jesus is one of the things that sets Christianity apart from all other, every other religion in the world. It says that you have to justify yourself by what you do. And what's amazing is that a lot of people feel like they can justify themselves by what they do to God. Christianity says that's impossible, which is terrible news, But Christianity goes on to say, you don't have to, which is absolutely wonderful news. And that's the gospel. All right, so justification happens in the mind and the heart of God the moment you trust Jesus. But here's the thing. You can transfer your trust to Jesus, be justified in the heart and the mind of God, and stay the exact same person. You can still struggle in your marriage. You can still lose your temper. You can still yell at your kids. You can still struggle with purity. Whatever it is, you can continue to do the same thing. So the question, the next big concept is how do you become like Jesus? That's called sanctification. Justification happens the moment you receive Jesus as your savior. Sanctification is that process of becoming more like Jesus. Now, Jesus was amazing, right? I think we can all agree on that. He served people all the time, no matter how tired he was. He uh, he never lost his temper, never woke up on the wrong side of the bed. His immediate family uh, thought he was crazy. The powers that be, like the ancient social media, uh, spread lies about him all the time. Uh, His closest friends didn't understand him. Uh, One of those closest friends would betray him, which is If you've ever been betrayed by a close friend, you know how terribly painful that is. Uh, He ends up being arrested on false charges or on trumped-up charges. Uh, He gets beaten. Finally, he's hung on a cross, naked with spit all over him. He looks down from the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Who does that? That's Jesus right? That's just incredible. I mean, if I get cut off in traffic and I have the self-control not to flip somebody off, I feel good about myself, right? (laughs) How do we go from what we are to really being like Jesus? How do you go from what you are right now to being what God made you to be? That's the question, right? And a lot of people who are Christians, uh, we get the idea that in order to become a Christian, we have to transfer our trust to Jesus, and it's by faith and that we receive grace. But then the way we think we become like Jesus is that we actually have to put in some sweat equity. We need to pray. We need to read our Bible more. We need to come to church. We need to serve. We need to join Bible studies. We need to do all the things that we are always telling you to do, right? But what's interesting is when Paul is answering this question with the Galatians, he doesn't list any of that. Those are good things. And there's a place for them. And I'll try to remember to tell you the place for them before the end of this message. But Paul gives a pretty radical answer uh, to the Galatians. And that brings me to my second point, which is the surprising answer. This is what Paul says in verses 3 through 5. He says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? What Paul says there is this. That the same way you are justified is the same way you will be sanctified. The way you are saved is the way that you will become like Jesus. There's not one strategy for one and another strategy for another. It's the same exact tool. So the question then is, how does somebody really become a Christian? How do you get justified? Wait, well, He says it in verses 1 and 2. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? What Paul tells the Galatians is this. Listen, the way you became a Christian is that I came and I shared the truth of Jesus. I shared the facts that Jesus lived, that he died on a cross, that he resurrected, and he did it for you. And at some point, you actually believe that enough to transfer your trust. You quit doing and started trusting, right? And then he goes into this kind of case study of Abraham, which is kind of strange because Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus. But this is what Paul says. He says, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What Paul says is even Abraham, 2,000 years before Jesus, became a Christian the same way. He quit doing and started trusting that Abraham had to believe in the gospel. Now the gospel is much more fleshed out for us than it was for Abraham, but Abraham trusted that God was going to send someone through him who would actually save the world, including him. All right, but here's the thing. When Jesus goes to the cross uh, to exchange places with me, And he takes my sin on himself, and he's credited with my sin. So when God looks at him, he sees my sin. Jesus did not become a sinner. He did not start all of a sudden yelling at the guards and swearing at them and trying to spit on them. He was credited with my sin in the same way. When I am credited with the righteousness of Jesus, God looks at me as if I am righteous, but I'm not. I don't all of a sudden become compassionate and loving and caring and all of that. I don't become like Jesus. So the question is, how do we use faith to not only become a Christian and be justified, but use faith in order to be sanctified and become like Jesus? We have to get this, right? If we don't don't get this, if we don't really understand it, then we're going to have the same, we're going to keep getting divorces, we're going to keep having broken relationships, we're going to keep holding grudges, we're going to basically be the same people we've always been. But if we get this, if we get it, we can become a people that absolutely shine. And you will be more like Jesus next year than you are right now, and more like Jesus the year after than you were then. So how does it work? That brings me to my final Question, how does it all really work? All right, so 15 years ago, my wife Karen and I uh, built an in law suite onto our house uh, to care for my parents. Uh, And we did that until they both passed away. And it was a, a wonderful kind of 14 years of caring for my parents and being that close to them. But once they, my dad, my mom passed away first, and my dad passed away. And after my dad passed away, that part of the house uh, just became kind <clears> of <throat> quiet and dark and uh, lifeless, right? And then my daughter Becca and my son-in-law Sean uh, decided to move up uh, into the area from Texas, and they agreed to move in to the in-law suite and bring life and light and noise, and they have. Right? And uh, I'm not going to lie, the very best thing they did was they brought uh, our grandson Ezekiel into that part of the house. And uh, now they've had another son named Malachi. All right? So it's been wonderful. Now this is the way my backyard looks. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> but it has been just great to have a front row seat uh, to watching uh, Ezekiel. Uh, just as he grows. And that's probably why he has been a part of almost every sermon since. But I have watched him, and this is what I know about Ezekiel, is that he runs on love. I mean, he runs on love. He gets up in the morning, gets filled with love, and then he runs all day. And he gets love from a lot of different sources. I love him. Uh, My wife loves him. His dad loves him. But the highest octane of love that he gets, he gets... From his mom, my daughter Becca. This is a picture of them. Now, the reason that that is the highest octane of love is because she knows him. I mean, she knows uh, when he's tired and needs a nap, she knows when he's hungry and needs a snack, she knows when he needs to be held. She is the one who he longs for when he needs somebody. Now, Ezekiel has a, a lot of stuff. Like what I showed you with my backyard, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Now, he's got tons of toys, and sometimes his toys become too important to him. And uh, I, there's a comedian named Brian Regan, who I really like. And Brian Regan's got a, like a little like, uh, spot on this. He I think he was at an amusement park and was watching a little kid and the little kid had a helium balloon on a string and it slipped out of his hand and it just floated up into space. And the kid watched it go and then the kid just lost his mind, right? And he was crying and screaming and Brian Regan said the adults around all looked at this little boy and they were kind of going, hey, it's just a balloon, get a grip. And Brian Regan said, that's not really fair. Because for that little boy, it was more than just a balloon. And Regan says, uh, makes me wonder how adults would feel if uh, that happened to their wallet. They took their wallet out and it just floated up into space. They would <laughs> lose their minds, right? And his point was this, that we all have things. We all have things that we put so much emphasis on that it would, if we ever lost them, We would lose our mind. When that happens to Ezekiel, and I happen to be with him, then I I pick him up and I go to try to find his mom. Right? (laughs) Not just unload him, although that's part of it. But the bigger part is that when she holds him, it's not long before he realizes, if I have her, then I don't need that. If I have her, then I'm okay. So if Brian Regan is right, and all of us, no matter what age we are, have different things in our lives, not like a helium balloon, but maybe family and marriage and our job and our health, when something like that slips through our fingers, who do we run to? Who do we go to to say, if I have this, then I'm still okay? I read a book a couple weeks ago. It was called The The Seven Primal Questions. The Seven Primal Questions. What the author said is that there are seven basic questions inside of every human soul. And out of these seven questions, uh, there are a couple that you have that every one of us Have kind of designed our life around to try to answer. And they were put in us at a very early age. All right, let me list out the questions. Here are the questions Am I loved? Am I loved? Am I wanted? Am I wanted? Am I safe? Am I secure? Am I good enough? Am I successful? And do I have a purpose? Do I have a purpose? Those are some questions, aren't they? See how quiet it got? You know, I've been, uh, whenever I read a book that I like uh, around the office, I talk about it to everybody, and it's kind of a standing joke, I think, with the staff. Of course, they don't joke to my face because I'm the boss, but I think they joke behind my back. But I share those questions, and everybody I share those questions with did the same thing you did. You could see it impact them. Some of them teared up because we all have those, and we all realize that a, a no answer to any one of those questions is devastating. If your central, if your primal question is, am I wanted And you think, I don't know. Or if you say, I'm not. Absolutely devastating. So who do we go to? If you've been counting on something or someone to answer the question, am I loved? And that slips out of your hands, is there anyone to run to? This is what Paul's trying to say. Paul's trying to say, listen, it's not doing more that's going to make you like Jesus. Doing more isn't what made Jesus like Jesus. Jesus didn't become like Jesus because he read the Bible more, went to Bible studies, or came to church. There was something deeper going on with Jesus. Here's a a passage in uh, John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, it's Thursday night, uh... Jesus is going to be crucified on Friday. So it's Thursday night. He's going to be hanging on a cross by 9 o'clock Friday morning. And he's meeting with his disciples in the upper room. And he knows that every single one of them is going to desert him within hours. He knows that one is in the process of betraying him at that moment. One by one, he is losing everything. And he knows that by nine o'clock in the morning, the next morning, he will have lost everything. And Jesus takes the time to wash his disciples' feet. But this is what it says. This is verse three. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments taking a towel, tied it around his waist. You see what happened? see what happened to Jesus? Jesus reminded himself, all my primal questions are answered yes by God the Father. So when I'm losing everything else, I can still pick up a towel, wrap it around my waist, and wash the feet of these men that are going to desert me within hours. How do you become like Jesus? I told you the story uh, a few weeks ago, the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. It's a great story. Stephen is preaching to a crowd. They start to get mad. They decide they're going to kill him. They're going to stone him. They drag him out of the town, and they surround him. And he says, uh, I see the heavens open, and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the throne of God. And that makes them even madder and so they start stoning him more and the next thing that Stephen says is this, Father, do not hold this against them. He is exactly like Jesus. And he doesn't say, oh, I'm supposed to be a Christian, I I need to grip my teeth and I I hate these people but I'm going to pray for them or I'm going to love them, or I'm going to forgive them, whatever, like, what happens with Stephen? He sees Jesus, and he says, if I have him, then I can love anybody. If I have him, then I can forgive them. What he's saying is, Jesus answers all seven of my questions. And if he answers all seven of your questions, if that's where you find the answer to those questions, then you will be like Jesus. You will become more like him. We have to get this. Right? It breaks my heart when I see people who have been Christians for 10, 20, 30 years, and they're really the exact same people they always were. It breaks my heart when I realize that I'm the same as I was a year ago, struggling the same way I did A year ago, I don't want that. I don't want it for you. So what's the secret? Right? It's not doing more. It's trusting. It's trusting that Jesus not only went to the cross for you, not only resurrected for you, but that Jesus answers all seven of those questions, yes, for you. And if you believe that, what Paul says is then you will begin to be more of what God wanted you to be. So believe it. And let's become what God intended us to be as a group. All right, would you pray with me? Uh, Father in heaven, I come to you and I am uh, I'm so grateful. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful uh, that for justification. I have no idea how I could possibly justify myself to you without Jesus. We have no hope of doing that without him. So thank you. But I'm also grateful that it's not by my own sweat equity that I become like Jesus. I don't have the willpower. I don't have the self-control. I don't have what I need to just grip my teeth and become like Jesus. But instead... You say the same way I'm justified is the same way I can become like him, which is to trust him. To not do, but trust. Trust that he is the answer to the question, am I loved? Am I wanted? Am I safe? Am I secure? All those questions are yes in him. I pray for every person here. I pray for those who Uh, can feel the lump in their throat and the tears behind their eyes because there's a question that they've always answered no. I pray that today they will realize that the answer is yes because of Jesus and then make us like him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.